Today, my guest is Dan Churchill. Dan is a performance chef with Under Armour, where he gets to work with some of the top athletes around the world. He also has a background in exercise science, so he's an expert in merging the field of nutrition, fitness, and the physical body, all to promote good health. We touched on a number of different topics. I learned a ton. I hope you do too. Dan's a great guy. Um, it was a lot of fun talking with him. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. And the ultimate key to your, your health is your happiness. And you have to be happy. Think of yourself achieving the goal you're setting out for. And put yourself in that mindset. Because if you're in that mindset and you feel amazing and elated, it is the right goal for you. But if you're someone who goes, oh, I achieved it, cool, but you don't feel awesome, then maybe it's not the right goal for you. Ultimately, the key to your health is your happiness. Welcome to Live Life in Motion, a podcast designed to educate and motivate each of you to reach higher and go further than you ever have before building the tools you need to empower your mind and body to thrive in the live life in motion mindset. Dan, welcome, man. I'm excited to have you today. Dan, it's a pleasure, my man. Uh, you know, it sounds like you and I could chat all day. So uh, we'll try and do our best to keep it to the time limit. <laughs> That's right. I got a lot of notes here. We could probably talk for a very long time, but to start, kind of just give a brief background about your educational background um, and then what kind of got you into the sports and nutrition world. Yeah, man. So uh, so I'm from a place called Australia, um, which is uh, the deep south, if you will. And I did an under, when I finished high school, I didn't know what I wanted to, uh, to do specifically from professional standpoint but I knew I loved sport I loved the professional side of sport I wanted to see if I could help facilitate uh, athletes so I did a sport and exercise management degree for my undergrad which is a bachelor and then a pro, uh, after doing that I did a, I realized that whilst I had a good foundation I was like nah I got to do a bit more specifics to strength and conditioning so I went and did a master's degree in strength and conditioning uh, which also had elements of nutrition in it and I just felt like coming out of that that was awesome I you know from that I was working in Australia with uh, the same, well, similar codes to what you have over here. We have something called NRL, AFL, which are your professional codes. Uh, and I was working with these athletes to help help them, you know, achieve a, a quicker sprint speed, an off-the-mark speed, an agility, a power output, and all these really cool tests that you'll see a lot in the professional landscape. But I think um, at the same time, I'd been cooking with my family just at home for a very long time, since, since I was like 11 years old. And I, I constantly overhear this, and even to this day it still happens. You hear people listen to nutritionists and hear the words of these amazingly gifted and smart people, but they find it hard to actually comprehend what they're talking about. So if you're an athlete and you're going to training and you go from, say, lifting on a platform to then you know, effectively going into a, 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 a small room and speaking to a nutritionist, it's very hard to kind of relate and understand to what they're talking about. So they would come to me afterwards knowing that I'd be talking about food and they'd ask me a few questions about what the nutritionist would ask me. And so over a period of time, this camp became more consistent where I started to create recipes for them. And so my path from 
you know, specifically just in the, in the sports and exercise physiology world, started to transition to the cooking and nutrition world. And so I, I merged the two because I realized that if I started to create more recipes and content for these players, I need to have more credibility. So I, uh, I didn't just stay at home cooking. I then jumped into kitchen. So by day, I was a pots and pans cleaning to, mm. you know, right through to working my the line. Um, and I was very, it's a very humbling experience, but from there you, uh, you learn a lot. And then that's got me to do more media, uh, speaking in the roles of athletic performance, becoming a performance chef. And it led me to opportunities of moving to the States five years ago, uh, which was uh, incredible. And here I am talking to Sam. (laughs) That's right. And you talk about, uh, the performance chef. Is that something, what is a performance chef and who do you actually work with? Yeah. Great question, man. I think that's a, so performance chef is a, a title that makes it more understandable to what I do. So when people say you're a chef, yes, but I work with uh, athletes more the specifically than the uh, everyday consumer, which is something that I'm fortunate to do still with my restaurant. But I, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I get to work with some of the, the greatest athletes in the world in, in, you know, finalizing and perfecting their intake to their performance, not just like aesthetics, but to their performance. So where I'm a differentiator is I look at the human physiology. So the things of like the breakdown of the gut, I look at how the individual's mood is, uh, you know, we look at inflammation and then I create their meal set uh, in accordance with how we can improve that. And all those things, there's, there's multiple different facets to the human body. It's, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But what I love to do is, uh, you know, go into camps with these individuals and, you know, for two weeks just be hanging out with their team and being amongst them and, you know, sitting down with them and, and, and really getting to the nitty-gritty of, uh, of helping them improve their performance through food. <laughs> That's great. And it's kind of like a combination of a little bit of everything. And I know when you talk about good health, what is good health? I know you mentioned it's a combination, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's so interesting. We hear health as such a basic foundation um, in its way that people think of it as your body fat percentage and how, you know, how lean your intake or, you know, what your meal set is. And I think that's two very obvious things, but not always correct. And that's just through marketing, what we see through advertisements and materials. But I think you've heard this before, Sam, in the sense that the most important thing that we have to remember that the overall indicator of how healthy we are is our happiness. So our health is governed, in my opinion, by our you know, physical, mental, social, psychological, and spiritual health. So all those things align. Now, in an ideal world, you'd have them all perfect and balanced out. It's not always the same. You may, professional job may be causing a lot of stress, but your family environment's amazing. So they kind of balance each other out. And so like, but ultimately your health is so important to be looked at from a, um, such a dynamic perspective. Cause if you just focused on your body fat percentages an indicator of your health, well, firstly, that's not an indicator of your health, but you know, bodybuilders aren't the healthiest people in the world and they're not the happiest either. They're very generally speaking, quite hangry. And I don't know about you, Sam, but my, uh, my lovely partner, she does not like to you know, make sure that I'm hung- hungry for too long. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Um, I'm, I'm sure you do a good job making sure she's not hungry too. Um, I mean, so that goes into a lot, which I've heard you speak about is your mindset, right? So if you have the proper mindset when you're, you know, going into 
uh, workout or a new nutrition plan that that can help the overall success of that. Is that right? Yeah, man. So there's a lot of studies out there that talk about firstly the digestion. So you know, digestion is really important. Like it's, at the end of the day, it's not what you put into your body ultimately. It's how much you absorb of it. And if you don't prime yourself for digestion, then that can be a you're almost like wasting time and food and money that you're putting into your system. F- food to me is an enjoyable thing, but ultimately you have to be in the right mindset to be consuming that food. Studies show that if you're emotionally sad or depressed, you're you're going to uh, have a deficient way of absorbing those nutrients as per se compared to if you are happy. And the, the, the link between that is the fact that your gut and your brain have this thing called the gut-brain axis and they are linked. So your, your gut is a second brain. You actually contain more nerves in your gut than you do in your brain. And so when you consume your food, your gut is sending messages to and from your brain back towards each other to understand what is the best enzymes, uh, chemical reactions to help break down this food. Now, if you're not in the right state of mind, the hormones responsible to help break down those foods or signal to break down those foods, they're not active. And therefore, you're just having this food sit there. And you'll notice this, a common test of this is like when, I, I think the most common one is when you break up with someone or someone breaks up with you, you really can't eat, you know, and that's just a pure indicator of you're quite sad. And so you don't have a stomach uh, that's ready to eat. You don't eat that much. And that's the same with a lot of things where you just don't, uh, when you, there's a moment in your life, you're like, you're not actually that, you've lost your appetite. It's generally over a sad or an occurrence where, um, you know, you're quite upset. So that's just a, it's an easy way for people to relate to what I'm talking about right now. And when you talk about your gut and it being, you know, kind of a second brain, what should you notice or what should you be looking out for, for the right things, right? Like coming yeah. from your gut. Yeah. Like that is such a great question, man. And yeah, I think what you're leaning into here is that our bodies are built for us. We have more micro. So in terms of our, so say we have hundred percent cells in our body, more than 50% are made up of something else's cells, not our human body cells. That's our microbiome. That's our gut. Like, well, not necessarily our gut, but they're in our gut. They're on our hands they're on our fingers. These microbiome, these beautiful, like little workers, these worries, they mark up more percentage of cells that live on us than we actually contain as human cells. So it's really important that whilst our DNA is our individual DNA, we also have the individualization of what makes up our gut microbiome. So when I always say uh, on my podcast is to listen to your gut, it's really important you do so because your gut is different to everybody else's. And so what you put into your system will be digested differently to what everyone else does. So what I always say is, you know, take note of maybe something that upset you. Maybe you woke up with an upset stomach or you're maybe a bit gassy or something else like that. And ultimately, don't let a diet plan dictate what you should be having. So, you know, your friend Sarah has done a diet plan that's worked for her. That's great. But just be open to the fact that whilst you're three weeks in and, you know, you're doing the same course, you may actually not be getting the same results or you may be feeling uh, upset and don't feel, oh, but I'm still following my plan. I need to follow my plan. You still have to be responsive to your gut. If your gut is upset, if it's telling you something, it will let you know. We all been that feeling where like tangled in our stomach and it doesn't feel good or we have to go to the bathroom, whatever it is, just listen to your gut. What what are some foods or some supplements to support your gut? Man, um, so the, the number one thing that I generally use is uh, athletic greens, dude. Like I talk about this, if there was one supplement I was to provide 
anybody, including strangers that I'd never met. It would be athletic greens purely <laughs> because it's made up of real foods that have just been freeze-dried and just a convenience factor. So it's got 75 ingredients that's from all over the world and that includes vegetables, root vegetables, and fruits. Now, to have vegetables and fruits is uh, one thing from around the world, but to have root vegetables in their optimized state is amazing. So you're looking at something that's uh, a, a digest has prebiotics, which are things that help feed our probiotics, and it also has probiotics. Uh, and when you get prebiotics that feed your probiotics, they result as the byproducts called postbiotics. And your postbiotics are these things called short chain fatty acids, which really support a number of different facets of your digestion, but also how your brain communicates uh, with you know different things such as, how do I put this? You've got this thing called the blood-brain barrier, and that is where you, your brain's barrier will either prevent things from traveling between, so blood will transfer between the blood and the brain. Uh, so think of it as like a gatekeeper to a nightclub. The gatekeeper is the blood-brain barrier. Now, the, the, the security guard will either allow more things to pass through or allow minimal things to pass through. Now, you want all the good things to pass through, all the VIPs, all those kind of things, and the short-chain fatty acids that I was telling you about by the correct digestion will allow the right things to pass through and prevent the onset of Alzheimer's amongst other things. So ultimately, I have this thing called Athletic Greens because it has the, <laughs> the pro, which results in the post and also has digestive enzymes. And that's just a simple thing that I have throughout the day. When it comes to protein, I, uh, you know, I work out a lot like you, mate. So like I make sure that I do add a little bit of protein to my day and that can depend on individuals where they are want whey. Some people don't respond well to whey protein. They can also have plant-based protein. There's also collagen protein. But ultimately, all this comes down to making sure that you get what works for you. Athletic Greens works for me. I know whey works for me. Um, but they're the only mainly supplements that I have. I don't really have uh, much of at this point. That's that's an interesting topic. And you, you mentioned um, getting protein, right? And there's kind of this big discussion between vegans and meat eaters. And I've also seen how, or some recent studies that vegans might be more prone to injuries. Is that, where do you stand in that discussion? Yeah, it's a great, mate. This is a really contentious study that we're going to have over the course of time, I feel. It still does relate back to my, you know, my core point of whatever works for you. I've had athletes who want to turn vegan but can't because they're just not responding correctly to the meals we put out and they need to be putting on weight and they just can't put on weight or they're not performing as well. Alternatively, I've had the other way where athletes don't want to be vegan, but performance-wise, they are better vegan. And so you've got to, you've got to think about that as like what, what people want. Now, where do I stand? I stand in a position where I think the greatest differentiator in any food is firstly to have whole foods and particularly whole plant-based foods. So it's not the amount of animal protein or not that you have, it's the amount of plants you have. So I'll always say to people, should you be plant-based? And I'll always say, look, most importantly, just get a shit ton of plants in your diet, no matter what. That's the number one thing. Then work out if you want to eat animal meat, totally work out if it works for you. And if it doesn't, then you can just dial it back. Do I think it's with respect to injury prone? There's actually conflicting arguments because obviously you get the respective protein that help support the building blocks with the amino acids that complete uh, you know, what we need for muscle repair from animals. But there's a lot of people that have 
chronic inflammation uh, occur as a result of eating meat, which can help the onset of injuries as well. So with it, you get that. Whereas plant-based nutrition is much more anti-inflammatory. So it's really important to take that into account. So whilst you may not have the same complete proteins, the anti-inflammatory um, process would prevent you know, succumbing to injuries pertaining to the same degree if you know, you're potentially eating animal proteins. When you talk about plant diversity, for people listening, what would be, say, four or five of the top plants they need to get into their diet yeah. that anybody can get? Yeah, good, man. Uh, like, honestly, go to the supermarket and the best five things they can get are the best things they can get. And what I mean by that is, like, I don't live in, say, Wisconsin. I don't have the same farms around available for me in that climate. So I'm not going to tell them... I want you to have these five foods if they don't have them available and they're more expensive where they are. It's just really unrealistic for me. So what I will say, pick five foods when you walk into the supermarket that are in the produce aisle. That's all I will say. Ideally, get them so that they're a range of different colors. So if there's a broccoli available, awesome. That's green. If you see carrot, awesome. That's orange. Obviously, tomato, peppers, a full variety. And that's the best way to go about it. I think from a nutritional standpoint, your greens are definitely much more you know, nutrients and they've got more water in them, you've got more phytochemicals, minerals and, and you know, vitamins. So that that's that's the obvious thing. But I don't want people to feel as if they have to search for these things. I want it to be really accessible. I want them to be empowered by it all. When you're looking at people's eating patterns, what do you see maybe in America or as a whole that would be the first thing we need to change or get more awareness about? Sugar, dude, straight off the bat. Like I've learned so much about the consumption of sugar here in the United States and I, I grew up not having sugar and that's not, that's just like the way I grew up. So, you know, if you guys told me that going to the beach and surfing was bad for me, it'd be tough for me to start to wean off it. If you know, that that's where it's, that's where it's interesting, right? Cause people have grown up thinking sugar, you know, isn't as bad as people think, but we look at diabetes if we look at chronic inflammation heart disease alzheimer's all these problems that occur from sugar intake and sugar is a simple thing to you know alternate that would be the number one thing i would do cut out your refined sugar and a lot of that can be added sugar that they don't even know about right correct dude like there's the obvious one right adding that white table sugar to your coffee your tea whatever it is but think of all the processed cereals, grains, things that you're getting from a supermarket in a colorful marketable box that, you know, you, you think that is great. Like cereal's the worst, to be honest. But then you have all these, you have all the obvious things like your treats and snacks and cookies. But then there's things you don't know about, like the processed, already prepackaged foods that require preservatives to maintain their shelf life. And that's what's scary. It's scary that where all these marketing companies, these conglomerates, these huge organizations have this power through their financials to promote the onset of uh, or to promote their consumption. But what they're really doing is they're promoting uh, costly healthcare bills, uh, you know, and, and and more importantly, health healthcare issues on the individuals and their family. And that's another thing I think about would be kind of going into the portion size that a lot of people eat is that mm. do we need to limit our portion size what's a good portion size how do we how do we go about knowing that 
Well, Sam, how tall are you? I'm 5'11". And what do you weigh? 168. Sweet. So like you, you, uh, you've got a very quick metabolism, right? I would say you're, 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 you're very athletic. So your portion size, I would actually think would be relatively larger compared to someone who's actually bigger and the same size at the same height as you, right? So my point is, again, it's all relative. What I will say is key takeaways is, you know, no, if people want to say, what's something I can do to be healthy? Number one, cut out sugar. Number two, I definitely, if you want to, if you want to lose weight, I do recommend intermittent fasting. When it comes to portion control, I would look at realistically, what is going to get me through with two to three meals a day and maybe a snack and portion that out. Now, intermittent fasting is not something you have to do every single day. You can do it, you know, I do it five days a month, right? And that helps me reset my clock and, and do a number of different physiological beneficial things. What are the advantages to intermittent fasting? Okay. Uh, awesome. Uh, reduced chronic inflammation, increased insulin sensitivity, reduced insulin resistance, obviously, uh, which means you get balanced blood sugar, prevention of Alzheimer's. Um, it unlocks a process called autophagy. And autophagy is where essentially you rid your body of senescent or dead cells. So you have these zombie-like cells that can stay inside uh, inside of you, not doing anything, and they just wreak havoc because they, they suck the life of energy that is not being doing anything. And then they can actually cause um, the growth, onset of growth of cells, uh, and that can then you know, relate to tumors and cancer. So autophagy helps get rid of those dead senescent cells. So you know, it's a, it's a pretty nice, it's like cleaning house. It's a great process. So I definitely recommend doing that. Also helps unlock brain power. It's great because you do this uh, autophagy also happens in a, in a similar fashion to the brain. It gets rid of, um, you know, things in the brain in a similar fashion. It also, another benefit to, you know, intermittent fasting is it's accessible to everyone. It's cheap because you're not paying for food. Anyone can do it because you just, you know, yeah, it's all about time. Um, and it's simple to follow. You just don't eat for, you know, a period of time. In this case, 16 hours and you eat for an eight-hour period. So you look at Is that at, what you do? Yeah, man. I'm a big fan of the 16-8. So I'll eat between, say, 11.30 and 7.30. And then I won't eat again until that next 11.30. And that's how I do it. And I'll do that for five days of the month in a row, right? And it's tough for me on my big weeks of load. So what I mean by that is like this week I had a massive week of training and I was uh, intermittent fasting after the holiday week of Thanksgiving. And it's tough because you're so, I'm so hungry. (laughs) (laughs) But I know that it's for one period of the month. And I can also change that next time so that my uh, my training load is not so heavy when I'm intermittent fasting. But, dude, I, I like to get after after a big weekend of fun. So, like, uh, yeah, that, that was hard to change. <clears throat> Let's talk about inflammation. What is yep. inflammation and how can we combat inflammation? Yeah, yeah, cool. So you've got two types of inflammation. You've got acute and chronic. Acute is where, you know, it's the good kind of inflammation. It will kind of uh you may you know you may have abrasion or you cut yourself on your finger uh through maybe chopping your chopping an onion and you have in you know, a information where the blood will rush you know blood will rush to it bringing with it all the things needed to help repair the damaged uh little skin uh, or the inside as well chronic information where unfortunately 
you have the buildup of um, macrophages and all these uh, C-reactive proteins. Essentially, chronic inflammation is where the inflammation doesn't uh, lingers around for too long, right? So, you know, you see the likes of rheumatoid arthritis, all these issues that take place as a result of sticking around for too long. And with that, it brings greater issues because you have all these extra microbes living inside the, se- the respective sections, not doing anything. And it can do a lot of problems in breaking up and actually having issues with physiological systems. So you want acute, you don't want chronic. You want to prevent the onset of chronic and with it, the onset of potential diseases. Uh, and so to do that, you eat more antioxidant-rich foods, you have you know, much more colorful ingredients, uh, and you prevent the onset, uh, prevent the intake of chronic inflammatory foods. What are some of the key anti-inflammatory foods you would suggest? Yeah, man, like eat the rainbow straight up, plants. <laughs> um, they're full of them. So I like you have these things called free radicals, right? And free radicals are the byproduct of doing a number of different things. Like every single time you breathe and create energy and stress, uh, whether it be you know fitness, physiological stress, uh, physical stress, uh, you know you 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 one you have a electrode um, remove itself from the chemical reaction, right? Not to go too scientific here, but essentially this electrode will bounce around. Oh, this thing will bounce around and wreak havoc on your system until it re- uh, an antioxidant comes along and reattaches itself. So how do I put this? Think of a uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the best way to put this as a um, yeah analogy. So think of this as you have taken your baby rattler from your baby, and your baby's in going all through the house, chucking things out, like tearing up your your pillows, screaming, and all of a sudden you need a parent to come back and reattach and, and give back the baby rattler, you know, and then the baby's fine again. It's all happy in days. So the antioxidant in this situation is the parent. And the, the antioxidants come from all these rich, phytonutrient-rich, um, colorful ingredients known as plants. <laughs> nice, How man. We need, to get, we need right. to get – I love it. I love it. Uh, all right. So we talk about – I know you talk about bio-individuality a lot, yeah. right? We're yeah. all different. When you look at – you know, when somebody's trying to assess themselves, their body type, their diet, their fitness routine, what should they look for, pay attention to, and then in turn do? to try yeah. to reach whatever goals they're going towards? So, oof. so like individually, everybody, as you said, is different, right? Mm-hmm. But it's important to know what your goal is. And so like if I said to you, like what that's the first thing, what are you trying to achieve? You know, some people actually want to put on weight. So like all of a sudden, like you'll find yourself going, okay, well, I'm actually someone who despite the commonality of wanting to reduce my caloric intake i want to increase it so once you work out what your goal is that's number one number two you work out a path to doing that now if you're trying to lose weight you obviously let's let's work out how's the best way to do that for you the easiest thing as i said i would recommend intermittent fasting and training three to four times a week probably the best way to do it if you're someone who's trying to put on weight i would make sure that my training modality is built around resistance training and then then I'm also on top of that, make sure that my food supplements what that is. Now, generally speaking, you want to increase your protein intake to, to look after that and your carbohydrates. So that's what I would recommend. It's pretty simple. Yeah, I think that's that's great for people. When you talk about workouts and you said three to four times a week, mm. what would be 
kind of a great longevity mindset workout, like somebody for longevity. They're not trying to build strength. Yeah, just get moving is always a good one, isn't it? So like I would, for longevity, you want it to be um, varied. So they're, they're, mo- they're definitely motivated to continue. So you're not always doing the same thing. So it could be like going for a different run, one run a week in a different location, number one. Uh, number two, I would do, you know, circuit training. as a, And then maybe one day is like mobility. And so you're kind of like breaking it up into different types of workouts. I find that a lot of my friends struggle because they go to the gym and do the same routine for the same year and they lose interest. Some people want to achieve success through the gym only and that's great. Stick to a plan, but make sure that plan rotates every eight to 12 weeks. That makes sense. I think that's so important. Um, And then, yeah, like I think we often don't talk enough about recovery. And that's so crucial is if you're looking at longevity, it's so important that you look at your body for a long-term period. LeBron James is about to be turning 36 and he looks as good as ever. Why? I mean, it does help that he spends $2 million a year on his recovery, but he focuses on <laughs> right? There's a reason why these guys like the Tom Brady's of the world are into the elder ages of their what is, you know, a uh, of being an athlete, professional athlete, but they're still still – doing well like tom brady is still he's the goat he's still the goat like he's and he's 43 now like far out and he <laughs> looks god damn it he looks like he's like 30 he loves those resistant bands oh man he's a big fan of those absolutely what is a recovery day for you what does it look like for you it's today uh my load's been so big this week and i have uh you know, I had a double yesterday and my, my daylight today is honestly fairy gun, move around a bit. Um, yeah, it could be like a 30-minute to 40-minute fairy gun session watching some sort of Netflix or reading. Like it's hard for me to read, but like if I'm just de- staring and doing fairy gun, but uh, I gun and yeah, like I guess mobility. <laughs> <laughs> do you do yoga? Do you meditate? I meditate, yeah, I do meditate. That's uh, that's kind of like a four-day thing. I do that like irrespective of my recovery day. But like I don't really do yoga. I can't I can't do yoga. I've worked out that no matter how many times I've tried it, um, it's not really my cup of tea. Um, but for some people it is and I recommend it. I know a lot of my friends do it and it helps them. So I just get – it's not that I can't sit still. I just prefer to use – other things or do other things in my time to, to have the same effect. A big topic that's gotten kind of it's time to shine in recovery is sleep. But I know mm. sleep can also get disturbed if your eating patterns are incorrect. Um, kind of walk somebody through the proper times to eat, what can disturb, disrupt your sleep, and kind of tips around getting proper sleep. Dude, you've been listening to a pretty good podcast by the sounds of it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah man like uh i i i actually know all this now because of what you probably heard was dr stephen lockley on my podcast and learning so much about our circadian rhythm which is like our 24 hour clock that we have eternally is so important and sleep is something that i think in particularly 2020 we've had all the time now to actually focus on our health and ourselves when we previously weren't able to have the time to go, am I sleeping well or not? It has been a year where we've been able to actually focus on it. So what I will say, we're still not getting enough sleep. 
but obviously if you're getting, we're getting better at understanding it. Now you should definitely try to get your eight hours of sleep. And even if your whoop or your aura ring is telling you you have an efficient sleep, if you're having an efficient sleep with five hours of sleep, then you could be an amazing human being with an extra three hours of uh, efficient sleep and powerful sleep. <laughs> to get to sleep, you want to make sure that you're doing. You want to make sure that you're removing blue light from your, you know, your stratosphere as much as possible. Blue light being all things monitors, screens. You can wear blue block sunglasses, blue light blocking sunglasses or glasses rather, where you wear them to bed. And if you have to look at your screen or whatever it is, you're doing so. You're trying to avoid all forms of screens for two hours prior before bed, ideally. And the same with eating as well. So with eating, you don't want your digestion to be disturbing your ability to go into a sleep, deep sleep stage. And your gut, when digesting, triggers a number of reactions with your brain. But if your brain's not resting, if it's not falling into that deep sleep, it's uh, too busy digesting or sending messages to digest food, it's not really going to sleep. So that's where your brain and your mind are so important to understand as two different beasts. Because whilst your body is going, fuck, dude, let me sleep, your brain's going, I can't, man, I've got to digest this food. And so what you want them to be is like, your brain, you ready to go to sleep? Yeah. <laughs> It's chill. And that's where you want to be. So you don't want to be eating two hours realistically before bed. Now, also caffeine. Caffeine has like a nine hour um, or it has like a nine hour half-life to an extent. So you want to make sure you're not having caffeine too far. Sorry, it has a four and a half hour half-life. So you don't want to have caffeine too late. So say you have caffeine at four o'clock at eight and a half hours, at 8.30 p.m., it's still got, that's halfway. So then you'd be, you know, having caffeine pretty late and still be having some onset problems when you're falling asleep. So just know your caffeine experience uh, and what you're doing daily. And then when you wake up in the morning, you know, you want to make sure that you're setting your clock correctly. And that's where, this is where like intermittent fasting can also benefit because when you don't eat first thing in the morning, you're using existing stores and those existing stores help you create the right forms of uh, energy upkeep for cortisol, et cetera. <laughs> and uh, so let's talk about fats a little bit, good fats and bad fats. What yeah. are some good fats and bad fats? Yeah, there's definitely good fats and bad fats. First, fats you want to avoid. So there's the trans fats that are also known um, as the, the processed fats that go into a hydrogenized state. So the easiest ones that you can remember of these are like margarine. So margarine is like a butter-like substance that's easier to spread, but it's easier to spread because it's been processed and it's actually gray. It's not yellow, but we add yellow dye to it to make sure it looks like it's butter, right? <laughs> What you want to do is avoid these hydrogenase trans fats. Um, and they can also be in vegetable oils that have been through a high process. So you're effectively looking at rapeseed oil um, or your canola oils. You want to avoid all those fats. You also have your saturated fats, which can come from animal-based proteins, and also saturated fats that still come from vegetable-based proteins like coconut milk and stuff like that. Now, there are levels of saturated fats such as MCT oils that you want to look after, but ultimately, the best form of fats to get are your polyunsaturated fats, like your extra virgin olive oils, your avocados, and all those kind of things, and nuts and seeds. 
You want to make sure you're getting your fats majority from those unsaturated, polyunsaturated fatty acids. They're the best ones. You want to have your MCTs from your coconut milk sometimes. Saturated fat particularly can slow down the process of glucose being taken into the blood by insulin. And what happens there? If it slows it down, there's glucose present in the blood. Then you have a buildup of glucose. Your blood sugar is high. But insulin, as I said, is slowed down through the process and the clogging and of whatnot of breaking down of the fat. That glucose becomes too resistant to insulin, and that's what we don't want. And then all of a sudden, your pancreas is going, "Well, do I need to do I need to release more insulin?" So you start to release more insulin, but it's not going anywhere. So that's where you know you have to be mindful of how much fat you are having. Do you ever, what about supplements? Do you supplement at all? Like, I don't, like, as I said, like, athletic grains is the only thing I really have, man. Like, I don't really, I have protein on the days that I train, and that's pretty much about it, dude. Yeah, so there's a few things I want to talk about. Your favorite way to prepare red meat, chicken, <laughs> and then greens and salad. So let's start with red meat. Red meat, dude. I'm a when I, I rarely have it these days, but when I do, simple steak, uh, salt and pepper, 15 second turn until it's nice, medium rare. Um, that's that's yeah, that's uh, what I drive with with my old man. That's it there. What about so red meat? Like say portions per week. What do you suggest about that, dude? This is again, um, like I have red meat probably once a month. So I don't have it that much. I used to have a lot more. I've just reduced it completely. Like I don't, I have it when I generally have it as well when I'm some chefs or I go out to a restaurant and I, I get the meal because they want me to taste the food, right? It's not me ordering it. And so, you know, trying to be nice, I don't, uh, I don't obviously turn it away, but I've become more morally um, interested in looking after our planet and I love meat. I, I do love the taste of it. I still, I've been very specific on the ones that I do have. So I don't have that often, but for people who do have it, you know, I, I would make sure that you haven't got any heart issues if you do. Uh, if you know that your body works well off red meat, cool, good for you. That's awesome. Similarly, if, you know, you can have too much of anything. You can have too much of broccoli. We never do, but you could. So like, <laughs> Uh, it's really important you just kind of work within your own confines. And yeah, like what I what I what would I have said four years ago? I'd say you know get red meat into your system twice a, twice a week. But really, now I look at that and go, well, we don't need that anymore. You know, we're okay. looking at these these human bodies that digest foods and plants just as efficiently to get protein from a combined source as not just from you know solely red meat. What about chicken? How are we preparing chicken? Dude, brick chicken is my thing right now. So split it so you've got um, the breast still attached to the thigh and the drum. And what you do is you completely sear that one side in the pan, like a nice hot skillet, chuck in some garlic, some rosemary, some thyme. It's in a base of olive oil. You hear it bubbling away. It's crisping up as the <laughs> juiciness is falling down. And you have that oven ready to go. You have a brick or some sort of weight. I usually use a cast iron skillet on top and it's pressing down to the chicken, so it's flattening out the, uh, the actual chicken itself. I then flip it over, season it again, and chuck it in the oven to finish off for about, well, I'd say uh, nine minutes. <laughs> what's, a, what's the meal? Say I was trying to impress press a lady or, or partner of mine. What, what meal <laughs> should be my go-to? 
Dude, like honestly, like, I I love. I always say spaghetti bolognese purely because that's a couple. Of, it's nostalgic to me. It tastes wicked, but also, I always say this. I love, I love a girl who is not afraid of being her. And so when I, uh, if I'd have someone on a date, I'd want them to just not be too pretentious about looking messy, so be right. So I think the perfect di- and it tastes great. Everyone loves pasta. Right, <laughs> I do. It's, like, it's so hard. It's so hard to screw it up, right? So, it's fun. It's family. It doesn't make it look too serious. You can have a nice little glass of red with it. Um, depends which way you go with it. Could be kind of naughty as well. I don't know what kind of date it is. If it's a first date or like a tenth date, I don't know. But yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's my recommendation for you guys out there looking to impress a lady. Check out my spaghetti bolognese and then uh, just, you know, send me a little thumbs up on Instagram to know that uh, just uh, DC, did you spaghetti bolognese, took a girl out, thumbs up. I'm like, love your work. That's awesome. Yes. Dan has tons of recipes <laughs> and videos about how to make them. And that, so talk about your restaurant, Charlie Street a little bit, downtown Manhattan. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's an awesome spot. It's everything I want in like a... It's like little Australia, right? You have all these people come in and like, dude, I feel at home. They're all Australians who so come and visit and it's really cool. So like think of it, if there was a beach and there was uh, waves uh, on Enmare Street, <laughs> we would be that little cafe out the front. Uh, it's a really cool spot, man. We do breakfast and lunch service, quality coffee and all around my food philosophy of, you know, eat as much plants as we can through these kind of foods, but uh, support it with uh, the likes of chicken and things like that that uh, people want as well. What do you want your guests feeling when they leave your restaurant? I want them feeling firstly super happy, uh, not not full to the point where they have to go home and watch a coma, be in a coma, but I want them to feel like they had a really enjoyable time. Like the, they picked up a couple of things. They felt like they ate a clean meal that's super tasty. Um, and yeah, they had a really good time being there. I also like people feeling like they've just come home for a bit. We don't like our being pretentious. It's kind of like homey and, um, you know, we've got this like Southern Australia, we've got this Australian style of uh, hospitality, which we love too, which is very, you know, I love, I love the Southern hospitality. I think we've got a different type of Southern hospitality that we try and steal from you guys, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's very personable. Nice. So actually ending up here, what for, I'm going to kind of give the floor to you. What would you say you believe is most important for people trying to live a healthier life or try to get the correct mindset or maybe just get on track with, you know, whatever they're trying to succeed? Yeah, that's a, so many things come to mind, dude. I, uh, I would say that I think we touched on it earlier, like don't look at health as being just this physical aesthetic thing. Think of health as all those different parameters that involve your life and then have a think about what truly makes you happy because when you look at those things and you take a step back and have the time to think, which you all have this year, you start to realize that you know either what I'm trying to achieve isn't actually what I want or what I want isn't actually as far as away as I thought it was. So to get that healthier life, you, you you do need that physical appreciation for yourself, the same with your mental. You need a good support social network. But you just have to remember that it's not one or the other. It's everything in unison. And the ultimate key to your, your health is your happiness and you have to be happy. And so when you're setting a goal, when you're setting something to achieve, 
just remember it's it's got to be actually what you want to the point where think about you achieving that goal. So say you set yourself a six-month, a year, a two-week plan, whatever it is, a goal of that nature. Think of yourself achieving the goal that you're setting out for and put yourself in that mindset because if you're in that mindset and you feel amazing and elated, it is the right goal for you. But if you're someone who goes, oh, I achieved it, cool, but you don't feel awesome, then maybe it's not the right goal for you and you have to rethink that. So just remember, you know, it's important to look after you before you can do anything else. You can't look after your partner if you can't look after yourself. But ultimately, the key to your health is your happiness. That's incredible. And that's something I tell my clients. If I can help them be proud of themselves, mm-hmm. then I've done my job. You know, if they can wake up and be proud about what they did the day before or how they're feeling, um, I think that's a great way to look at it. So, Dan, tell people where they can find you. What you're up to, what's your Instagram handle, all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. So uh, you guys can find me at Dan underscore Churchill. Uh, you'll see me in my chef whites. Uh, so uh, <laughs> if you ever come to New York City, come check out Charlie Streets. If you want to learn more about this stuff that I get to hang out with Sam on, uh, head over to my podcast, exactly where you'd find this podcast in the podcast store. Uh, it's called The Epic Table uh, with Dan Churchill. So make sure you check that one out. And um, make sure you like Sam's podcast too because leave a review for him, maybe a comment because uh, he's a ripper of a bloke. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Um, it's been an unbelievable conversation. People are going to get a ton out of it. And thank you again. Appreciate it, bro. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.